extra ecclesia nullum salus. Oh, we're going to have to edit that because there's no excuse for me mispronouncing that. Monday, June 19th, 2017, time for Episode 9 of the Barnhart Podcast. In recent news from the United Kingdom, the 24-story Grenfell High Rise caught fire and burned. So far, 79 people are confirmed dead, and the death toll is expected to rise a lot higher. Two things about this fire. First, the building was environmentally upgraded with a type of styrofoam cladding that was supposed to reduce greenhouse emissions, and it might have right up until it caught fire. And this cladding caused a type of chimney effect, which turned the entire structure into a blast furnace. The second thing is that this building was a government-subsidized tenement for Muslims. What are your thoughts on this? Well, the first thing I want to say about this is that, you know, just because people die a horrific, terrible death, which many of these people clearly did, they burned alive pretty much, um, that does not make you a saint. It does. It does not make you saved. And in fact, it is it is precisely because this culture is so detached from death. Not that we aren't completely surrounded by death because we live in a culture of death. But the death that we are surrounded by, we have cloaked and made invisible. If abortion is basically invisible death. You don't, nobody actually sees it happening unless there is a, a sonogram being done during the abortion itself. You never see this, this sort of death. And so we never engage in death. You know, people get old, get cancer or have heart attacks and die. And people are just c- perpetually shocked and almost in a sense, outraged that people die. Whereas up until not too terribly long ago, Death was just, death surrounded people all the time. People died at all stages of life. Children died. Young adults died. There was constantly war and death associated with war. Those of us in this decadent post-Christian West, all death has been basically shaded or, or cloaked from us so that we can't see it. So when something like this happens, there's there's this inappropriate response on the part of Christians, and that is, well, these people died a horrible, terrible death. That is the tragedy, and therefore, because they died this terrible, horrible death, they must all be in heaven. They must all be saints. And this is so terribly, terribly wrong. The, the ultimate tragedy about what happened at Grenfell Tower is that these people died, and as Supernerd just just alluded to, if you look at the composition of the tenants in this building, it was more than 90% Musloids, okay? This was a government-subsidized, basically a tenement for Musloid immigrants into the UK, um, or as some of us like to refer to them as, as the invasion force. So they're, they're in this high-rise subsidized, not very nice apartment tower. And this this horrible thing happens where this thing catches on fire. These stupid environmentalists and dishonest, um, dishonest landowners broke the law and installed this, um, whatever this cladding was, hyper flammable cladding on the exterior of this building. 
The law explicitly states that this stuff is not to be put on a building above 10 meters in height, which is basically, you know, 30, 35 feet because it's so flammable. They installed it on the entire height of the building completely against the law because it saves some money. Apparently it was the low bid on the contract. And um, as a result, some guy on the fourth floor, his refrigerator, he had a crappy refrigerator. The refrigerator shorts out, whatever, catches on fire. Long story short, this exterior cladding catches on fire. And one engineer described it as this building was basically like a candle, except the the entire exterior of the building from bottom to top was wick. That's scary to think about. This whole thing goes up in flames um, again, miscues are made. The announcements were, were put over the loudspeakers that told the people to stay where they are. Hello, lesson, lesson of 9-11. If shit gets real in a high-rise building, you haul your ass downstairs as fast as you can. I mean, that's just, I'm sorry, but that's just common sense at this point. Um, and so all of these people die. And it's going to be well over 100 because anybody who's missing at this point is dead. Let's face it. Um, so all of these people are dead. What is the ultimate tragedy here? What is the ultimate tragedy? What is, what is the ultimate end of man? This is what nobody in post-Christian society has any thought or concern about, including the Vatican, the anti-pope. None of them believe in the ultimate end of man. The ultimate end of man is where do you end up? You're either going to end up in heaven forever or you're going to end up in hell forever. And remember, limbo of the innocence is also a domain of hell because it is outside of the beatific vision. The limbo of the innocence for very small children and so forth, it doesn't it doesn't involve eternal torment because very small children, the unborn, um, these people are not capable of ever having committed a personal sin, but they're guilty of original sin. And so therefore, they cannot achieve the beatific vision. Yet this entire building, 600 to 700 residents Almost all of them, in excess of 90% of them, were musloids. What does that mean? These people were not baptized. The ultimate tragedy here is that nobody evangelized these people. The gospel was not preached to these people. They were not converted to the one true church. They were not baptized. And now these people are dead. And ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you think that because they burned to death alive, that this gets them into heaven. I'm sorry, but this is this is not Christianity. This is heresy from the deepest pit of hell. The ultimate tragedy here is that these people died outside of the church. Death happens. It happens to everybody. It happens all the time. To young, to old. The reason why our Lord gave the Great Commission is to, to go out to preach the gospel and to baptize people is because that and get them into the church is because that is how people are saved. There is no salvation outside of the church. Extra ecclesium nulla salus, okay? Outside of the church, none are saved. That is why we have to spread the gospel to these people. You can't just leave, including all of these musloids, these six to seven hundred people in this tower. You leave them, they their building catches on fire in this horrific criminal tragedy. It's a criminal tragedy. People should go to prison for a long, long time for installing this cladding on this building. And here these people are, they die in this horrible tragedy. And look, if you believe what the church teaches, these people are almost certainly, you, you have to leave 
the door open because, you know, as these people are burning to death, I suppose it, it is possible. It is possible that these people not being invincibly ignorant, knowing who Jesus Christ is and who who the church teaches that he is. It is possible that one of these people could have being jarred by the fact that they knew they were about to burn to death. It is conceivably possible that someone called out and and in in the depths of their soul made an act of imperfect contrition and confessed Christ. Is it likely? No. It's extraordinarily, extraordinarily unlikely because these people were were part of a political system that explicitly denies the divinity of Christ, um, denies the denies the Trinity, denies the triune Godhead. Um, these people were in this political system. Their culture is completely um, influenced and dictated by this evil satanic political system. The odds that these people had a last minute conversion and and called upon the name of Christ as as the second person of the triune Godhead, who in their hearts confessed the Trinity right before they were dying, um, who in their hearts said, yes, I believe that, that Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead, suffered and died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. Um, everything that they had been in and the political system that they confessed as a foundational premise of, of it denies all of that. The odds of these people being saved is extremely, extremely, extremely low. But the church believes that we have to leave just the tiniest sliver of possibility open because someone can cry out and have a last minute conversion. And God's mercy is infinite and it goes to the very, very, very last nanosecond possible. But that's the tragedy here. And this whole notion that that people have whenever any sort of a, a tragedy or an act of war or something like that occurs where people die unnaturally, this this mindset that people have that dying unnaturally or in a particularly painful way saves you. Uh, I'm sorry, folks, but this is not Christianity. And I just I wanted to make that point right off the bat. The other thing I wanted to talk about is what you touched on first, Super Nerd, and that is this whole environmentalism kind of almost morphing and substituting into, um, it, it truly is, into its own neo-pagan religion, you know. We're going to do all these things, uh, the, the, apparently the selling point of this, um, of this cladding that was used was that it was environmentally friendly or something like that. I, I don't even know. But it's so true that as we look at this post-Christian neo-pagan culture, that, you know, if you go out and you find some some 23-year-old on the street and ask them, what relig religious observances do do you observe personally? They'll say, well, none. I don't believe in any of that. No, they, I don't believe they, observe, in any of that. they observe that they're gluten-free. Exactly. That's where we're going. So they'll deny that they have any religious observances, but but they totally do. Neo-paganism has extraordinarily strict to the point where now the neo-pagans, these people, are going to start, you know, uh, prosecuting, imprisoning and eventually executing people for, quote unquote, heresy against their dogmas or apostasy or um, a failure to convert to their satanic um, dogmatic set, you know, because they'll deny that, that they're 
members of any sort of a religion. But let's let's look and see what they have. Okay, super nerd just brought up, you know, I'm gluten free. And all of these intense dietary restrictions of vegetarianism, veganism, um, this obsession with with gluten free. And this is this is one of the things I've written on this before. And I think I've talked about this in audio interviews before, too. This really chaps my hide. People who claim that they have um, what, what's basically a celiac allergy. Look, there are people who actually genuinely do have a celiac allergy, whereby if they ingest any sort of a wheat product, they will swell up like a balloon, their air pipe will close off, and they will suffocate unless they get an injection of what's that stuff called that you inject yourself with? Uh, Um, I want to say atropine, but I think that's for chemical weapons. That, yeah. <laughs> well, when you give your yourself um, one of those injections in the thigh and you carry around Epi, EpiPen. EpiPen, yes. EpiPen, yeah. yeah I'm and showing, you, I'm you showing my your... military roots here with, with the first thing that comes to mind. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> but there are people. It's a, it's a very, 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 very small percentage of the population, obviously, um, who have this genuine intense allergy but in these whole neo-pagans and all of these there's a lot of people who can who profess to be christian who are following after this where it's the new it's the new hip thing we have to be allergic to everything we have to be gluten intolerant we have to have all of these massive dietary restrictions what these people are actually doing is they're looking at um, basically the fasting uh, parameters which are very good i mean true Christian fasting is a is a very very salutary thing. What does our what did our Lord say? He said this over and over again. What what can we do, Lord? What can we do? What does he say? Fast and pray. It's the only way. And it's that the there only there are way. certain evils that can only be overcome through fasting yes. and prayer. That's right. There are certain evils that can only be overcome by fasting and praying. And so obviously fasting is a very good thing. And then also people are looking at the dietary restrictions that were in the old covenant, which of course are no longer in force because our Lord, our Lord made all foods clean when he said, look, and I believe it's in Mark, what is it? Mark nine, I want to say, he says, look, what goes into your mouth eventually comes out the other side as, as waste. You really need to be focused on what's coming out of your heart. And so in that moment, he made all few all foods clean, which is why we eat bacon morning, noon and night. Thanks be to God. And we eat all of the uh, creepy crawly seafood creatures that are so completely delicious and all these other sorts of things, because he made he. He abrogated the dietary laws in in the old covenant, but a lot of these people are looking at these old covenant old covenant dietary laws, and they're they're trying to create a fake religion. And one of the things they want to try to copy and emulate are all the old dietary laws. So, but then they take it to the next step, and it's just you know it gets to the point where I saw a news story yesterday, and I'm not kidding. There are these people now who have taken veganism and vegetarianism and zero glutenism and all of all of this to such an extreme that they've literally stopped eating. They and they they claim they claim that they live and subsist off of the air and good vibes. 
And that's eventually where it will be going, where it will be a cult of anorexia or something ridiculous like that. And, and self-starvation, starvation of your own children. And, oh, yeah, but that's it's all coming. It's all totally coming. That's just that's minor. OK, let's look. Let's go down the line of the sacraments. Um, let's look at the sacrament of confession. What is the neo-pagan analog to that? Well, it's psychotherapy. Everybody has to be in therapy. Everybody has to have a shrink. What is all of that? It's people desperately trying to replace the sacrament of confession with something that fits into their neo-pagan anti-Christian worldview. Uh, but they're still desperate for the forms. Um, marriage, obviously. Now, fornication and sodomy are being are they're trying to sacramentalize these things into a substitution for marriage. So it isn't it isn't uh, a man and a woman coming together for the purpose of procreating and raising children. That's not what marriage is about anymore. Marriage is about the fornication. Marriage is even about the sodomy is now what they're trying to say. Um, so there's the sacrament of marriage. Um, what about what about the mass? What about the holy sacrifice of the mass? What are the pagan now analogs or equivalents that they're trying to replace that with? Well, let's look at the word sacrifice. What, what are we sacrificing in this culture now? Children, abortion. Abortion is now being made into a neo-pagan sacrament. Also, suicide. Suicide is being made into a neo-pagan sacrament such that, you know, euthanasia and Oh, aren't people so wonderful and so great that they're just going to go ahead and not be a burden on society and not have a carbon footprint and not cause their relatives any um, any consternation or anything. They're just going to go ahead and euthanize themselves in this wonderful, wonderful act of self-sacrifice. Again, this is just desperately trying to clamor at at getting analogs to all of these things. And, and, sounds, and so there, there it sounds like there are some analogs here. I want to say it's Albigensianism, where, where the error there was they thought that all material was evil. So they literally did starve themselves to death because they wanted to reduce the amount of matter that was taking up the human uh, composite being. Um, yeah. Obviously very different here. And, and of course, talk, talking about aping the, the sacraments of, of psychotherapy as confession, forni fornication, sodomy as marriage. How about science as the new priesthood? Ah, yes. Academia as the new priesthood. Very good. Very good. Um, certainly that that you may not you may not question, for example, the global warming fraud. It's a complete and total fraud. Um, they're they're caught all the time. And there's reportage that they're caught all the time that this and such data set was completely changed and manipulated and sometimes even inverted 180 degrees. All of these things are constantly, constantly exposed as being a fraud, but you cannot question the priesthood. You cannot question this caste of people, these academics, these scientists who apparently have been ordained and they are the gatekeepers and they are the ones who um, protect and distribute the word and the word being quote unquote science, which is proven to be nothing of the sort. It's not true science at all. No, no question, no uh, room for any questioning of hypotheses. The conclusion is reached first, and then data is um, collected and oftentimes fabricated and manufactured in order to support the conclusion, which is um, which is 
established first. This is a complete inversion of what true science is. Good point. Good one. Well, and not only not only that point, but also the the actual science on which the fake science is based is computer science and data mining. And good grief, uh, if you point out in, in computer science terms that data modeling and computer modeling is an extremely immature science, and especially when it comes to climate modeling, when you don't have even half of the, the variables that need to go into computing uh, climate models over the next week, mm-hmm. to, to then say, to then question uh, the climate models about rising seas and whatnot, you, you want to watch somebody's head explode. Just point out in actual scientific terms why their science doesn't work. Right. Exactly. Yep. Are you and re- so, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you raised the, the topic uh, or the, the, the terms apostasy and heresy a few times here. And, you know, woe to those who uh, are, are heretics and apostates from environmentalism. What are the authentic terms here? Because these are words that have meaning. But uh, in addition to uh, creating an ersatz religion for people who are, are losing faith in Christianity, it also seems that words are under attack as well. And, and climate apostates, climate deniers, climate heretics, this is... This is denuding and diluting terms that actually have actually have meaning, that uh, eternal meaning and internal significance to us. Yes, absolutely. And I was actually um, I was approached and contacted by a traditional Dominican who sought me out and expressly for the purpose of correcting me on my use of these words, because it's an it's an incredibly important precision. And we're all kind of just bandying them about with, you know, with the Bergoglian anti-papacy and everything that's going on in the um, in the Vatican. The words heretic and apostate are being thrown around a lot. And this Dominican approached me and said, you need to know what the difference is, because it's really, really important. And here's the difference. Heresy is when a person stays within the matrix of the church, operates within the church, etc., etc., but believes, promulgates, teaches things that are false, that are erroneous. So that is a heretic. An apostate is somebody who completely steps outside of the church, says, I reject the church in total, its entire structure, its, in- its entire matrix, I no longer believe in it. I no longer recognize it as any sort of a legitimate entity, and I'm doing something else over here or being an atheist, which actually is, is doing something else. But I am completely outside of this. Now, here's, here's why this is really important right now. So let's take anti-Pope Bergoglio because it's the, it's the most – obvious example, and it's the most relevant. Um, People are are being scandalized by this, losing their faith about this. Okay, right now, in this very moment, anti-Pope Bergoglio is not yet an apostate. He's still a heretic, because obviously, he is still operating inside of the structure of the church. Now, he is destroying it from the inside out. He's doing everything he possibly can to try to completely and totally destroy the church from the inside out. He hates it. He hates God. He wants to see it destroyed, but he's still inside of it, right? Because he's still calling himself the Pope. He's still trying to leverage um, the, the authority that goes along with the office of the papacy, which he has usurped. Um, and he's still using and, and existing inside of the matrix of the church. What is fast approaching 
is that what is what they he if he lives and survives to be able to do it or his whoever comes after him um what they are going to eventually do but it's it's just coming on us so fast is eventually they are going to create a completely new different distinct new world religion you know call it new world order soros un Freemasonic, completely new, different religion. It will have a, they are already working on creating a quote unquote liturgy for this. It's going to be, you know, what they're going to bill it as is as a mass quote unquote, that is, that is attractive to everybody that the Lutherans will like and, and the Muslims will like, and it will just be this completely, um, it will be kind of sort of aping, the, the Novus Ordo Mass, but it will be designed to be the liturgy of this completely new, distinct, different one world church with Bergoglio himself, if he lives to, to see this to fruition or his successor or whoever it is, completely new entity. And then they will denounce as no longer extant and certainly no longer valid the one true church. They will attempt to say that that old thing no longer exists. And what there is now, because everything is an evolution and everything changes, this is the true church now. Ah, this is apostasy. You see the precision there? It's huge. You know, you say you have a heretic pope and that we've had heretic popes before. This is true. Now, as somebody very, uh, very aptly put it earlier this week on a blog somewhere, and I can't even remember which one it was. If you took all of the heresies of, of the heretic popes up until now and put them together, they are not even a drop in the ocean compared to the heresy of Bergoglio. I mean, I think I've talked about this before. Uh, what is it? John, John the 23rd, the first, is he the one that was debating whether or not, um, the, 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 the dead will receive the beatific vision before the general judgment or after the general judgment. And he thought everybody only got the beatific vision after the general judgment. And he was corrected in that. And I, I think he renounced his heir before he died and all of this. I mean, these are, I've said it before, man, would that it were, would that it were that 20% of the Catholic clergy today had, had faith like that, you know, it, 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 the world would be completely different. These heresies of these popes up until now, it's to the point where, I mean, you're completely unserious and I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to waste time listening to you anymore. If you're trying to use the examples of the heresies of the pre previous popes to have a discussion of what's going on now with anti-pope anti Bergoglio and his heresy, first of all, Bergoglio is not the pope, he's an anti-pope. And second of all, you are so far beyond, uh, I mean, you are so far beyond anything that has ever happened previously in the history of the church, you can't even talk about these things in, in the same conversation, in the same framework. It just doesn't work anymore. Um, and this is going to Fatima and, and all of the, the apparitions of Our Lady that are approved, where she's talking about this, and specifically at Fatima, that I, I guess it's the third secret, and it says that there will be apostasy from the top, not heresy at the top, but apostasy at the top. 
Now, see, anyone who read that in the middle of the 20th century who was in the Vatican, I dare say they probably knew what the precision and the difference in definition between heresy and apostasy was. They knew that what she was saying is that you would have someone at the top, which, I mean, Bergoglio's an anti-pope, but it's it's very difficult to argue that he's not at the top of this of this monstrosity, of this situation. Someone at the top is going to actually try to start a completely new church and and declare the true church to be no longer in existence or no longer valid. That's terrifying. That's why they are all so terrified of the third secret, because the ramifications of this are just are massive and stunning. When something like that happens, I mean, would that it were, that it was just a matter of heresy. Okay, you've got a pope who has a heretical position. The church can walk that back. There's remedies to walk that back. How in the world do you walk back a situation where a man who holds himself out and who a large percentage of not just the population, but also people who profess to be Catholics, profess this anti-pope to be pope. He goes and he starts a completely new religion and new church with a lowercase c, and then declares invalid and no longer in existence the bride of Christ. I mean, this is just, you couldn't even write this. You couldn't even come up with this. this as this stuff all unfolds, it's just it, the fact that it is so outer limits is almost a testimony to the fact that it's it's real and it's true and it's happening because the greatest fiction writer in the world could not come up with this stuff. And what I thought, what occurred to me after thinking about this conversation and thinking about these this precision and these definitions between apostasy and heresy, it, I, I realized that that's what all of this business of attacking marriage is about. That's what all of this is. What the attack on marriage is, is that it's, it's basically adultery as apostasy. It's denying the very matrix or structure of a marriage and then forming a quote unquote new marriage. You see, that's what they're doing. So you can, you can leave your first wife because, you know, people change, love fails, everything is in flux, everything is in evolution. Um, we need new structures to deal with the new and everlasting man. The old structures no longer suffice. The old marriage no longer is, um, is yielding any fruit. You you know, these are the terms that these people use, but it's all the same. And so the attack on marriage is really, it's a preconditioning for the final apostasy which will be from the church, which is it, it, they're trying to set people up for the ultimate divorce and, if you and don't, telling them. And for folks who don't see the connection between marriage and the church, if you have never attended a traditional wedding, the gospel reading and, and, and the traditional ceremony for the for a wedding, the gospel reading is uh, I forget which which. Um, gospel it is, but it's talking about marriage as the great sacrament, which is a symbol of the church itself. And if you're talking about uh, a precursor to divorcing the church, attacking marriage is a very logical 
prerequisite. Oh for it. yeah, because it's it's intimate in everybody's lives. The culture has degraded that by now everybody, pretty much everybody, is related to someone who's divorced and probably divorced and remarried. So everybody has this this connection with this because of the degradation of the culture. And so it's break down, if you can break down your own family, okay, it really isn't that much of a bigger jump then. If you've already watched, if you've broken down your own marriage, if you've abandoned your own spouse, and now the church is telling you that's okay, if your parents, if there was, if one or both of your parents abandoned each other, and now the church says that's okay, and you've seen, and this has happened to you, and the church says it's okay, that when this day comes that they set up this new one world Freemasonic new world order Soros global church of man, um, it's not going to be that much of a jump for people to just say, oh, it's like when my parents got divorced and now there's a new marriage. It's like it's like when my dad left my mom and then married um, his second wife. It, it's just like that. It's no big deal. But there, there's no longer a marriage there. There was there was a marriage there, but then it failed and love failed and everybody has to move on because people change. Pe they're setting up this framework. So it's going to be exactly the same set of events, except it's going to be the church. And it's going that, to be the bride of Christ. And yeah, so, go ahead. Suddenly that gives gives uh, newer insight to the, 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 the passages in the book of the apocalypse or revelations, if you still use that term. Um, talking about the the fornication with the whore of Babylon, and, exactly. And uh, obviously, the, our Protestant brethren refer to the Catholic Church as the whore of Babylon. But in this conversation, it just clicked for the first time. It's something we haven't seen yet. It's it's going to be a no. replacement, uh, pretending to be the Catholic Church, which isn't. Yes, and you know, I, I'm one of the most hardcore people out there in terms of calling out the anti-papacy, calling out the corruption in the Vatican, the fact that it's just a freaking bathhouse in there. But I'm telling you, I don't, I do not yet believe, even with all of this anti-papacy stuff and everything that's going on there and there's Satanism going on inside the Vatican and all kinds of stuff, it, it's still, the whore of Babylon still hasn't been brought into being yet. I, I agree with you, super nerd. And I think it's going to be really clear when it happens. And I think that's what Bergoglio is pushing towards in conjunction with the Soros machine. And when I heard the whole, the whole thing about, yes, a commission has been formed and a liturgical commission has been formed to create a new, uh, some sort of a new liturgy. I thought, uh, that that's it. That's going to be it. And it's also it, it uh, connects in with Daniel, with the book of Daniel, where it talks about um, the abomination of desolation. You'll know it when you see it. Have we have we seen that yet? Even with this Amoris Laetitiae and, and Eucharistic desecration going on, giving, you know, priests knowingly giving the Eucharist to people who are in states of just open mortal sin, unrepentant. Giving priests giving people the Eucharist in full knowledge of this is that is the Eucharistic desecration is even that the abomination of desolation? I I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the abomination of desolation will be this this new church, this new Freemasonic Soros church with this new ape 
aping of the mass that's going to be quote unquote ecumenical and everybody can come and all are welcome and they'll, they'll be handing out. Um, I, I, I would have to think that the, the, um, the confection of the Eucharist at that point would not be valid. But again, you'd need to talk to a theologian about that too, because I could go back and forth. Will the confection of the Eucharist be valid? Because if it isn't valid, then they're just handing out wafers of bread. But then if it is, I see this is where it gets really muddy. But I think this is where you get into this dynamic with the whore Babylon. Absolutely. And I think that's what's coming. And I think that's why this attack on marriage and the family. And I don't think that this, um, that this is in any way contradictory to what, um, sister Lucia said that the, that the last battle, I think the last battle inside the true church before the apostasy from the top and the formation of this new one world religion, that last battle is indeed revolving around marriage and the family. And it's being done to set people up for this great divorce from the bride of Christ. I would hope that they are not going to have the actual Holy Sacrament, Holy the, the, the Holy Eucharist. But if, if this is going to be as diabolically malicious as, well, yeah, that's I'm the point. That's what be. Satan wants. Yeah, Satan wants our Lord on that altar, and and wants to to you know desecrate him and dishonor him to the maximum extent possible. But maybe um, someone listening, maybe some of the priests out there, and someone can ask questions about this. I'd really like to to explore this, obviously, because it's extremely important. If Bergoglio does create a an apostate church. Would the Eucharist be confected in that apostate church, the Whore of Babylon? Yes or no? That's it's it's a really important question to know. I guess I guess the answer to that would be: Can an apostate um, line of holy orders remain valid? Right. At what at what point it, does the severance occur? Um, at what point do validly ordained priests, which Bergoglio is, which all of these, all of them are, they're all validly ordained priests. We're not, you know, we're not uh, old, old set of acantists who say that these these ordinations aren't um, aren't valid. They are. These men are priests, which is it's it's horrible, but they are. Um, well, they're bishops, what, which is even worse. And and they're bishops and they're bishops. Um when when does it stop? I mean, and it's I suppose it's a question of intention um, that gets all into it. But it, it would be nice to get some guidance on what the clear line here is, because as I've said before, I think on the podcast, one of my daily prayers now every single day is please, God, please keep the church militant visible and personally speaking, keep me within easy walking distance of daily mass in, in the old rite or divine liturgy. If it comes to that, you know, I'm flexible, but keep keep it visible so that we know very worried about about it, get, this degenerating to the point that we that I and anyone else out there just simply cannot people of goodwill cannot look and see where is the church? And I take comfort in the fact that one of the one of the key attributes of the church is that it is visible. And our Lord promises this to us, that the church will continue to be visible and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that visibility, 
you know, if you're if you love our Lord and you love his holy church, please join me in prayer that these things will will continue to be visible and that there will be a trail of breadcrumbs so that we're not we don't end up doing things that we shouldn't do or trailing off after people that we shouldn't be trailing off after. I mean, there are so many people. Obviously, there are so many people who are, you know, Novus Ordo Catholics who are going to trail off after Bergoglio no matter what he does. I, I um, imagine you know. when, when this all comes down, if you're not sure which way to go, just think, just look around and see who's being persecuted. Those are probably the ones with the clue. Of exactly. Yep. <laughs> follow the go, go to go to the trail of blood. Exactly. I was just exactly. going to say follow the blood. <laughs> you follow the blood. Well said. Uh, yeah, and, and unlike some of the other depressing topics, uh, this one has a happy ending. It's been foretold many times. You mentioned one of the Marian apparitions. There, there's the famous four, La Salette, Fatima, Akita, which mm-hmm. is a, that's a dreadfully fearful one, and yeah. Our Lady of Good Success at Quito. They all uh, portend this massive falling away from the faith, but also, especially in Fatima, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. This will happen, and it's going to be a very obvious clue that this is um, – this is the the true restoration of the church when it happens because it's going to be supernatural. Just like the, yes. the the miracle of the sun, there was no possible scientific explanation, regardless of your computer models, that anything other than the sun actually falling toward the earth happened. Even the the Masonic editors of the local newspaper, who had everything to to gain by making fun of the Catholics, turned around and said, "No, it really happened." Uh, so when the triumph of the Immaculate Heart happens, it's going to be obvious, and I wish it would happen sooner than later. Well, it's 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 going to make the miracle of the sun at Fatima look like a look like a breezy little parlor trick because think about what this means. It's going to be something that is so intense that first of all, a lot of people are going to die in the run up to this and I don't understand what that means if it's nuclear war or if it's some sort of a natural disaster or something like that a global natural disaster I think our lady of akita kind of kind of lays that one out and if you're not familiar with that one she refers to a period where priests will fight against priests cardinals will fight against cardinals which we're seeing that now uh, it's probably going to get a yep, lot worse yep. but then a oh, great yeah. part of humanity will die from with from fire falling from the sky and we do have the technology to to, to mimic this um, not that Our Lady doesn't know what nuclear weapons are, but um, that that could be man-made. It could be supernatural. There, we'll find out when it happens. Um, well, I mean, you know, fire falling from the sky is what is how our Lord destroyed Sodom, Gomorrah, and the three other villages that He destroyed because they were full of sodomites. So, fire falling from the sky does have a supernatural precedent where, you know, there, it won't necessarily be that there will be, you know, an asteroid or anything like that. It will just, God will cause fire and brimstone to fall from the sky. Um, so that's that is a very apt parallel because the way society is going right now, if something doesn't happen soon, God's going to owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, you look at all of this and it's going to have to be supernatural. Think of how entrenched these people just think about going out on the street or going to a mall and just stopping your average white North American Christian, a person who professes to be Christian and trying to talk to them about, you know, the fact that we have to fight against sodomy. We have to recriminalize sodomy. We have to um, we have to criminalize abortion. We also should should criminalize um, the the production or sale of contraceptives. Try try talking to any of these people about that, and you will see 
very, very quickly that it will it will require supernatural intervention. There is nothing that could happen at this point that could walk this culture back from where it is now in this embracing of sodomy, embracing of child murder, embracing of contraception, embracing of um, polygamy, plural marriages, serial monogamy, fornication, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to have to be supernatural, and it's coming, and it's coming fast. I was just going to say, it's something that could what, – what could possibly wake up people to the point that they search for and find the answer? It could be massive bloodshed, massive death on a global mm-hmm. scale. Um, certainly mm-hmm. topic. And again, and again, circling back to where we started, Super Nerd, people are going to die. They're going to die horribly, and they're going to die unnaturally. Does that mean they go to heaven? No. It means that they're dead. And they're dead, and if they die outside of the church, or if they are baptized and they're in the church, but they die in mortal sin, unrepentant mortal sin, man, it's not good. And that's why we have to keep going. We have to keep talking. We have to keep, you know, we feel like sometimes we're just screaming at the wall and, you know, just a few thousand people are hearing this. But, you know, each one, each each individual human being is an infinite treasure to God. And so we have to keep going and doing the best we can to help people get right before this happens, because it all, our Lord also says in Scripture that a lot of a lot of us, uh, I mean, perhaps I'm flattering myself, but those of us who are inside the church and and are trying to be faithful, we're going to die, too. It's not like, you know, we don't believe in this ridiculous, this ridiculous um, rapture nonsense. Oh, we should we should do a, a segment on on the rapture scam sometime, super nerd, because there's still people running around who just and I don't have to worry about any of this because our Lord is going to rapture me home and I'm not going to suffer anything. And it, it's the it's the theological equivalent of putting your fingers in your ears and going, la, 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 I can't hear you. La, la, la. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And then those are the people who will lose their faith and will apostatize because when the suffering comes and let's face it, there hasn't been any real serious suffering yet in especially in North America. Um, when the suffering comes, these people are going to be the first ones to lose their faith because they've been sold this satanic lie that they're never going to have to suffer in any of this. And the fact that they're not raptured away is going to scandalize them so bad that they're going to lose their faith. Indeed. That's <laughs> checkmate all the way around if, if you don't have the faith. Yep. Yep. Satan is a is a extraordinarily adept chess player and he sets the table so that he has multiple angles where you're it just seems like no matter what you do, you're moving into check. But um there's always an out. There's always the truth. There's always a path out. It's a narrow path out and it involves suffering and sacrificing, but there's always a path through. You can always win when you're playing chess with Satan, but you have to have, (laughs) you can't do it yourself, obviously. Narrow is the way and few there are who find it. I'm pretty sure that's a quote from Jesus himself. Pretty sure. Yes, sir. Let's move on to some email uh, comments. Uh, We got an email from someone this week who asked a couple of questions. Uh, Although this topic Mm -hmm. is several years old, I would like to know what your take is on the Father Karapi situation. Besides reading various things on the Internet, I have never read a clear explanation of exactly what happened to him and where what he is doing now. Um, I don't know 
I don't think anybody knows for sure exactly where he is now. Um, I do have a Karapi story, though. I attended um, one of my clients, a feed yard owner, bought me, um, and we went to this together. We went to Karapi's, I think it turned out to be his very last major event, and it was in Omaha at the Quest Center. Um, and he packed the place. I think there were 17,000 people there. And my client bought was very kind, and we got the VIP seats very far down in the front. And then the night before, there was a, there was a dinner and, um, you know, there were the tables of 10 in the hotel ballroom and they served chicken and all that. And, and then afterwards, uh, Karapi said a few words. And then as people were filing out, you got to walk past and shake his hand and all this. Now, this was this was very, very interesting. Um, so the first night we were there and we're sitting there at the tables and we're waiting for Karapi to come in and we see him for the first time. And he walks in and he looked like the Satanist Anton LaVey. I mean, like dead ringer. He had he was shaved completely bald and then he has a goatee and he has pretty thick facial hair. So he had this goatee and it, it was dyed jet black. And he looked like Anton LaVey. And I think he also um, had either been in a tanner or had, um, you know, had put orange coloring on himself. Because as I remember, he also had kind of a, a, a very unnatural looking tan. I was, I was just going to interject. For those people who don't know who Father Carapi is, he, he was a, well, he is a Catholic priest. He, he will be fraternity who, who would mm-hmm. sell out entire arenas for his um, events. And if it sounds like a rock concert, yeah, that, that it's, it's ironic, the timing of what you just said, um, that describing what he looked like, he, he, he was quite a phenomenon for a while until he, well, you'll, you'll get to the story, but the, the, he, his events were quite similar to rock concerts. But he was yeah, very popular uh, he, all over EWTN. Radio, he was very popular. He was, yeah, he was all over EWTN. He had many, many videos. He made an enormous amount of money selling his DVDs and then going around and doing these huge speaking engagements. Although this engagement, it was for the benefit of um, one of the parishes in Omaha that needed to do, I think they need to do some pretty significant updating work on their old church. And so a lot of the revenues, it was billed as the revenues going to that. But Karapi made a lot of money. He was a big concern. Um, and what he would say, if you listen to Father Karapi's DVDs and stuff, you know, before he decided that he was going to be the reincarnation of Anton LaVey, um, is it, it was solid stuff. There was nothing that you could really say that, oh, that's wrong. That's no, it was nothing. Like, I mean, I went to this there event. There were people so. converted to the church and uh, reaffirmed in their faith Absolutely. based on what he was saying. Absolutely. And his and his shtick was he has a very deep, booming voice and he came off as very masculine. And I think that's one of the reasons, frankly, why he was so popular is because here is this priest that's just exuding this masculinity, this virility and potency. And so obviously, because the church has been so overrun by faggots, I think especially men were just like, oh, my gosh, that guy. That that's old school. That's what I'm talking about. And so he generated a lot of attention. Now, his he and we don't know if his backstory is even true or not. What he said his backstory was is that, you know, he was born into a Catholic, ethnically Catholic family. He fell away from the faith. Long story short, he moves out to Los Angeles and according to him, becomes like a multimillionaire real estate guy in Hollywood. 
and has, you know, Italian sports cars and is doing an enormous amount of cocaine and is running with celebrities, blah, blah, blah. This is what he claimed his backstory was. And interestingly, nobody has been able to confirm any of this. Oh, and also he claimed to have been in the military. And I think that's been debunked, too. Um, nobody can confirm any of this man's extremely uh, persuasive and dramatic backstory. And then he he um, he eventually loses all of his money, ends up in squalor, um, crawls back home, moves back in with his mother and then, long story short, has a reversion experience, gets into seminary, and then is eventually ordained um, and is ordained by John Paul II in St. Peter's Basilica in, I want to say, the late 80s, something like that. Um, he was actually, um, he and Father Zulsdorf were ordained at the same time. And, you know, Father Zulsdorf once in a while would make a post say, I I never knew the guy, but we were ordained at the same time and pray for him, obviously. But um, in late 2010 is, I think, when I went to this event in Omaha. And then I think in early 2011 is when it broke that he was leaving. he, He announced that he was leaving the priesthood, leaving the priesthood, and that he was starting a new thing called what was it called the sheep the sheep dog or something like that and it was this picture of him the logo of this thing was this picture of him looking like Anton LaVey crossed with an image of some Cujo-esque um uh, German shepherd i mean it was creepy the black sheep dog and then the black sheepdog. That's it. The black sheepdog. And then it comes out that, look, this guy's been living in a mansion on a lake up in Montana. He's got his prostitute girlfriend living in the house with him. He's been and there was also reportage that he was back into drugs and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, here's another one. Here's another one. More scandal, more scandal. And, you know, a lot of people were obviously completely scandalized by this. And to this day, there are people who are saying, oh, it was all a setup. It was all a conspiracy. Get rid. No, you see, Father Karapi made a video saying himself that he was quitting the priesthood. Okay, that's not a conspiracy. That's not anybody forcing anything on anyone. He did this. Um Clearly, something was wrong. And at the time, right after all this broke, I wrote on this and how the fact of this man's physical appearance, you know, we're all told you can't make any judgments about anybody judging by their physical appearance. I'm sorry, that's wrong. But yes, you can. Why is a Roman Catholic priest dyeing his facial hair? What, What the hell kind of vanity is that? Much less dyeing it jet black. And just looking like a complete freak. Oh, the other thing I didn't mention is as we were in this reception line and we're walking out of the first night's VIP dinner thing, I walk up to him and it's just, you know, it's a very quick, hello, nice to meet you. Thanks for all you do, blah, blah, blah. He would not look me in the eye. I mean, conspicuously, he would not look me in the eye. And you know me, I'm huge on 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 eyes and watching people's eyes. And you can tell a lot about people by watching their eyes. It was super creepy, the extent to which he would not look me in the eye. And and he didn't know who I was. This is before I, this was, um, 
just very shortly before I did the Koran burning. So I was no kind of famous person on the Internet in any way, shape, manner or form. It was just me walking up to him as a female and he wouldn't look me in the eye. And I just I I'll never forget that. That was very, very interesting. So uh, the deal with Karapi is I don't think anybody knows actually for sure where he is. We hope and pray that he's in a monastery somewhere praying. But I don't know. We don't know. And so the best you can do is you can you can pray for him because a super nerd said he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Once a priest, always a priest. So you have to pray for him. But he he has shot all of his credibility and you should steer well clear of him if he does reemerge because because of what he's done and the scandal of what he's done, if he is truly repentant, he will know that the best thing that he can do for everyone is to just lay the hell low and and not try to get back into any sort of public persona. See, this is a huge point. When people are truly sorry, when they've done something as grave as what Karapi did, if they're truly repentant, they know that the best thing they need to do is just go away. Just go away. That's the best thing you can do. When they start trying to get back in and they start trying to hustle, that's almost a sure sign that they're doing that diabolical narcissist thing where they're trying to rub people's faces in it. They're trying to get away with it. They get a lot of times diabolical narcissists get more satisfaction from the getting away with it than they do the actual um, malfeasance itself. So even if he did reemerge, I would steer well clear of him because reemergence itself would be a very bad indicator. It would be a very bad indicator. And people might say to me, well, what about St. Paul? You know, St. Paul's different. I'm sorry, but St. Paul's different. St. Paul was was a Jew who thought he was being a good Jew. And yes, he absolutely did murder Christians, but he thought he was being a good Jew. Karapi, when he was having sex and snorting blow with his prostitute girlfriend, did not think he was being a good Catholic. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. It's very much apples and oranges. Un- so unless he can verify that he was knocked off of his motorcycle and divinely illuminated by God with a light <laughs> from, from the sky. Knocked off of his motorcycle. Yes, well said. And I don't think that's going to happen and, at all. And it's not. So I would. I it's would not like Father Karapi probably started out to be bad. Uh, there, there's a big danger for priests who who develop either intentionally or accidentally a cult following. That's a yeah. cult, not occult. Uh, very different. Um, the the point being very that when you yes. have a popular following, it it's a huge temptation to the priest to think it's their own doing, their own genius that they're reaching people, as opposed to the tru- the truths uh, of the of the church and and the grace of state to reach out and touch someone with the truth. I mean, that's not something that comes from them personally. It comes from the person in whom they are acting, namely Jesus. Right. And when they believe that they have this power, that they are the reason why. You know, people are packing arenas or or finding their their preachings, you know, uh, sufficiently um, interesting. They're going to lose sight of the truth and, and and why people are listening. It's it's not because of them. It's because of the truth. Right. And when I wrote about Karapi, um, one of the points that I made is one of the temptations that people, uh, priests, and even even lay people. Um, 
one of the temptations you can fall into, and I include myself in this because I get a steady stream of emails from people asking or saying, I want to either convert or revert to the church. Please tell me where to go. Oh, dear Anne, I was I was received into the church today. I received my first Holy Communion today, blah, blah, blah. I get, I get a steady stream of those. And so there is a temptation that all of us can fall into that when that when you are doing something that you can say, well, look, I've done good. I I wrote something and it caused some person to rethink Catholicism or to revert to Catholicism and to enter the church. Therefore, surely, surely God wouldn't send me to hell if I commit if I commit a sin. And that is, oh my gosh, that is so poisonous. That is, that is like the bullet train to hell right the there. More peop- the more people I, you help to, to get into the church or to reform their life, the more, the higher you get on Satan's priority list and you are going to get exactly. all the more attack. And secondarily, uh, to help you be humble, go ahead and email Ann at podcast at barnhart.biz and say, if you did a better job, you'd be converting more people, Ann. That's right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> if you if you would just clean up your potty mouth, you would you would convert so many more people. Yes, exactly. It's absolutely true. It's the bullet train to hell that pride and that try and reducing all reducing our lord to a mathematical quantity. So, how many converts are worth one mortal sin? How many converts are worth one venial sin? Every sin is an infinite offense against our Lord. And therefore, the, the mathematics of this is completely invalid. As, as a, a lot of mathematics, when you start getting infinities involved, you know, everything just goes out the window. But it's true. Trying to reduce our Lord to a math and his suffering and death on the cross to a mathematical quantity and saying, well, if I do this, then he has to do that. And if 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 I yield this, then he has to he has to forgive me that or so, I mean it's just oh it's so twisted and it's so evil I, I think that's and called doing yes, math with with uh, imaginary numbers with imaginary numbers yes get get the square root of negative 1 in there somehow <laughs> it's it doesn't work it doesn't work at all and it is a massive massive temptation and I think karapi goodness gracious you just standing in front of these packed arenas like I said, Quest Center, that's a big arena. It's like a basketball arena, 17,000 people there. And he's standing there looking out at all of this. And I'm sure that it that it crept into his mind that, you know, if you um, if you if you got a little on the side with your girlfriend, that surely, surely that that won't cancel out all the good that you're doing here with all of these people. And, uh, oh, that's that's so wrong. So wrong. And ironically, probably the people who are clapping and screaming the most, which is not the right way to be addressing a priest, probably aren't the ones praying mm. for his conversion either. I want to jump to the second question that the emailer uh, sent in. And, uh, you made a quick reference to Michael Voris in, in a previous podcast and to his operation, Church Militant. I was wondering what your thoughts were on him and what he is doing. Well, I think what we're going to do, Super Nerd, because I have Vora stories that I have never told. And so I think what we should do is that we should save Voris for next week. And we will just leave it at that. And anyone who's interested in hearing my my Vora stories, and yes, I know him personally, met him personally, have 
all kinds of extremely interesting anecdotes about Voris. And um, I think we should do that next week because it's going to take some time. I think save Voris could be a bumper sticker all by itself. But uh, yes, we're, we're <laughs> going to save this for, for a future podcast. Yes. Um, any closing thoughts for this week? Um, just hope everyone had a good week. I hope everyone's staying cool. Um, remember, it's summer. It's supposed to be hot. So try not to complain too much. Um, it's 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 summer, so it heats up a little bit. And once again, thanks to one and all. Thanks for you, your munificence and your donations. I I just continually don't know what to say. Once again, Holy Sacrifice of the Mass offered for all of my benefactors on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Um, and again, if there's any priests out there listening, I, I still really am eager or keen to do, even if we could do one Requiem Mass per week for all the people who died in the previous week. I mean, ideally, I'd like it to be every day, but I'll take what I can get at this point. If anybody wants to commit to saying uh, one Requiem Mass per week for all of the people who died the week before, then let me know. That would be that would just be spectacular. Otherwise, thank you. And thank you, Super Nerd, as always. You're, you're awesome and getting lots of good feedback about you. I've seen you referred to um, around on the Internet as Anne's incredibly intelligent co-host. So, you know, I think people are people are digging the Super Nerd. I just stay out of the way and let you talk. That must be intelligent. <laughs> and you do all of the all of the technical work, which takes time. And I know that you have a family and a job and it's um I can't thank you enough for doing all this for me. Uh, it, it's fun, and uh, I appreciate doing it. Until next week, I'm Super Nerd, and we'll see you then. God bless, guys. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>